Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to walk through our gospel lesson and examine the text closely this morning, and particularly the primary text, which is verses 13 through 22. So you may may want to have your Bible handy as we walk through that. First, John tells us that the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, the Passover, which John here ascribes to the Jews, was a memorial day. It was one of the appointed feasts to the Lord, which God commanded be observed in remembrance of his delivery of his people out of slavery in Egypt. It recalls the night when, the, uh, when they ate the Passover meal in haste. They painted blood on the doorposts and lintels. And they trusted in the word of God that was given through the prophet Moses. And we know from Exodus 12 that at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the flock. But the destroyer did not enter the house of the faithful Israelites. He had passed over their house. Now that was around, say, 1446 B.C. So for 1,476 years, give or take, the Jews observed the Passover each year at the same time, same time of the year. They remembered that we were slaves in Israel. It was not as weak as the word remember sounds. It was very personal to them. We were slaves in Israel. That's the way they identified it. They looked at it as though they personally were slaves in Egypt and they were delivered by God. Every year at the appointed time, faithful Jews made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and offered the appointed sacrifices as Moses commanded. Moses did command, you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. Now that's from Deuteronomy 16, one of Moses' sermons. You know, Deuteronomy is a continual sermon that Moses is giving to the people of Israel as they enter the promised land. And so he said, at the place that the Lord God will choose, well, that was Jerusalem. So that's why they went to Jerusalem and celebrated the Passover there. Now, about this temple, that is the temple in Jerusalem, you'll recall that King Solomon built it. Well, it was built under King Solomon. They say, I mean, there were like 10,000 people working on it at a time, various points of its construction. It's a massive undertaking. But King Solomon built the first one in 960 B.C., That temple was destroyed by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. That was 587 B.C. Then it was rebuilt years later under Ezra and Nehemiah, and that was between 537 and 516 B.C. Now, when that was rebuilt, it was a smaller scale. It it did not have the, the, the grandeur that Solomon's temple had. Uh, But it was built on the same foundations. And then years later, uh, Herod initiated the rebuilding of the temple. This would be around 20 B.C. Again, on the same foundations in the same place. 
And this was being rebuilt in grand scale. And it was grand. It was 100 cubits. That's 150 feet tall. Roughly 15 stories. So it's a massive structure. I mean, this is not just you know, a, a, a minor, a, a small um, uh, structure. It's massive. It's imposing. Um, that, was, that temple is referred to as Herod's temple. And that was the one that existed at this time when, when Jesus was uh, doing his <laughs> earthly ministry. Now, that was started in 20 B.C., and it was not considered finally complete until 64 A.D. So it was under construction for a long time. And of course, if you know your dates, what happened six years later? The Romans came in and completely destroyed the temple, and it has not been rebuilt since. So it was under construction for a long period of time. But at this point in time, it was a magnificent, large structure. It was built in, in sections and built up. So it wasn't considered finally finished, but it was nevertheless an impressive uh, structure. Now, there is nothing sinful about a great grand temple structure. A magnificent structure that is very large, very spacious, vaulted ceilings and so forth. It, it sort of draws your gaze upward and it, it sort of leads you into the reality of a transcendent God. That's the idea with the cathedrals, for example. There's nothing sinful about that. Um, however, the temple in this case had been turned into a marketplace where there was bargaining and selling at the very footsteps coming into the most holy place. Here in this temple complex, they have... This is in the outer court where the Gentiles were permitted. There's this buying and selling and bartering going on. Most likely there is some dishonest gain involved, although not necessarily. <clears throat> but we see in the text, making a whip of cords, Jesus drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen and poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now, the question that the Jews had at this point was, what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, show us your credentials. Who are you to act as judge in these matters? Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now it's evident from the text that John assumes that the hearers of his gospel know that Jesus is the Christ. The people who are hearing the gospel, much like you, would hear it, and as you're hearing it, you know who Jesus is. You know that he's the Christ. You can see this in the verses that follow because it says he has this insertion that he's dropped into the narrative of what happened. John drops this insertion in there that says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered, remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This insertion into the narrative reveals that John assumes his hearers know that Jesus is the Christ. These verses indicate that this prophecy of the resurrection of his body 
is the primary theme of the entire gospel. He's drawing your attention to this and saying, this is what it's all about. When he was raised from the dead, that's when they remembered all of this that had happened and believed. Show us your credentials. Who are you? Now, Jesus, we know, is the Christ. He is, as John had said, and it just proceeds, uh, now John the baptizer had said in the, the uh, uh, gospel preceding this section of John 2, John the gospel had said, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of those years of faithful sacrifice of goats and bulls and sheep and oxen were God-pleasing insofar as they were performed in faith and trust of his word and promise, yet they were merely a picture of the once and for all sacrifice of Christ himself. See the irony in them asking, what sign do you give us? What authority do you have for this? He's like, um... Everything you've been doing for 1,500 years, that was all pointing to me, and here I am. So, yes, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Hebrews 10 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. As I said, they were God-pleasing insofar as they properly understood that it's the Lamb of God and His sacrifice that takes away sin. And these are a picture of that, done in faithfulness to God, that God would provide that Messiah. I continue with Hebrews 10. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering he was, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Yes, Jesus is that single offering that for all time perfects you and me, those who are being sanctified. Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who Jesus Christ is. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And Jesus said, destroy this temple. He didn't say, if you destroy this temple. There was no conditional clause there. If you all destroy this temple, then this is what I'm going to do to show you the sign. No, it's, it's as though he was saying, you will destroy this temple. Because you can't help yourselves. In your obstinance, you will not hear my word. You will cling to your system of fastidious law-keeping, which always produces perpetual law-breaking. I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, but you are so self-righteous that you will not come to me with a contrite heart. Rather, in your obstinance, you will destroy my body. You will hand me over to be crucified. But in three days, I will raise up the temple of this body. God the Father will not abandon my soul to Sheol 
or let his Holy One see corruption. And this sign will be given to all to see. And those who receive this with faith will receive forgiveness and life eternal. That is all. All of those thoughts are embedded in in what he's saying when he says destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The law of God is good and wise. The precepts of the Lord are given for your benefit that you know God's will for your life. But the law can never save you. The law always accuses. Now it does more than accuse. The precepts are good, wise. It shows us how we ought to live. But the law always accuses. So do we fall away in despair because we can't keep this law? No, fear not, beloved. God has claimed you in the waters of holy baptism. This is what it means to be a child of God. Remember that while you were enemies, while you were enemies, Christ died for your sins. That's the extent of God's love for you. That even at your lowest point when you were fighting and kicking against him, even those people who were there putting, nailing Jesus to the cross. He died for their sins and for your sins. In baptism, you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You've received forgiveness. In the sacrament, you receive the very body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And by the word preached and the word heard, you see rightly who Jesus is. You see his credentials. What sign do you give? What are your credentials? Jesus says, I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that thankfully includes your sins and my sins. Thanks be to God. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.